Open up to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And as you're turning there, and this should be one of the easiest verses in all of Scripture to find. It's right at the beginning. So just go right to the beginning. If you hit the table of contents, you've gone too far. Let me ask you this. Why are you here? It's a rhetorical question. Don't answer it out loud. Because I know some of you would be like, well, so-and-so made me come here. I didn't really want to, but I'm here because somebody dragged me here. I see some of those smiles. I get you. I feel you. Why are you here? Why are you here here at church? Maybe you're thinking, well, I was signed up to serve such and such, and, and I really just couldn't find a way to get out of it, so I'm here. Maybe you're here thinking, I just had a lousy week, and I'm here for some encouragement. I'm here because I feel like I have to be here. It's, maybe it's a guilt or a shame thing. Just supposed to be here. But let's broaden it a little bit. Why will you, if you do, why will you go to work tomorrow? Maybe you stay home. What are you going to do around the house or, or things that you're going to do out in the world? Why are you going to do it? Why do you fulfill the day-to-day roles that you fulfill? Whatever it may be. Grandparent, parent, person who goes to work, person who stays home, person who's trying to make ends meet, person who's trying to keep people happy, person who's trying to serve the Lord. Why do you do what you do? Let's broaden it even further. Why are you here in this world? Why do you exist? That is such an important question. And I think we all find ways to answer this question. Sometimes it's just based on what's going on in our lives. Well, right now I'm just trying to get through this phase of life, this thing that's going on at work, this thing that's going on at home. I'm just trying to survive the potty training years, whatever it is. Just trying to get through this. And you kind of hope, you assume, at the end of this, well, there's going to be something else. We'll seek meaning and purpose then. For some, it's, I'm just trying to meet the expectations of people around me. My boss is demanding this. My spouse is demanding this. My kids are demanding this. My church needs this. I'm just, I'm just trying to fill those roles and do the best I can. For some, it's, I'm just trying to find my own happiness. I'm trying to find what fulfills me. I'm here on this earth, some people say, to fulfill my own desires and happiness. We started last week this sermon series called Focal Point. This is a sermon series where we're going to go through all of Scripture, all of it. Genesis to Revelation, obviously we won't look at every single passage or verse But we need to get a few things right from the very beginning. And this is an important question. Why are you here? Why do we exist? Because if we get this question wrong, we're going to read all of the Bible wrong. We're going to read our own ideas into it and say, well, God wants me to be happy and fulfilled. God wants me to help other people so they're happy and fulfilled. We'll have this very me-centered view, and we'll read that into Scripture. So we need to start where God wants us to start. And right away, God gives us an answer to this question, why are we here? And the answer is, we are created by God to worship him. I know right there, some of you just tuned out. 
Oh my goodness, we're just going to all sit up in heaven and strope harps and we're going to wear our little robes and our little tiaras or halos, I guess they call them. We're all going to do that for all eternity. That sounds like the most boring thing in the world. Created for worship. Worship is not just singing. Singing is such a tiny, small slice of what worship is. What I hope to give you today is a picture of worship that encompasses every thought you will ever think, every action you will ever do, every obligation you will ever fulfill, every moment of your life that you will live is to be lived for worship. In fact, we can go farther. Every second of eternity that you will spend will be spent in worship. That's what I mean by worship. So we need to broaden the scope of what our picture of worship is. We are to live our lives worshiping God. And if we're going to get that right, we've got to start with one important truth that is confronted or that scripture confronts us with right at the very beginning. And that is that God created everything. God created everything. I didn't create it. You didn't create it. Our forefathers didn't create it. God has created everything. So when we come to this topic of worship, we've got to get this right first, or we will get worship very, very wrong. Now, we come to Scripture from our very modern mindset. And our mindset is different from the original recipients of Scripture. And so it's helpful sometimes to dig into a a few cultural things to try to read this and understand it the way they would have understood it first and then apply it to us. We come from kind of a scientific method. We want to know, when we look at creation, when we look at the beginning of everything, we want to know two things. How did it begin? What's the physical, scientific process that led to everything? That's what we want to know. The other thing we want to know is what was there at the beginning? What was the stuff? What is the physical stuff that was there in the universe? How did that happen? How did that come about? We have these assumptions from a scientific kind of mindset and this modern mindset, which is that physical stuff is all there is. Physical things. This podium your chair, your clothes, your car, your house, things you can touch and feel, things that are in your life that are physical, we have this mindset that this is all there is and this is all that matters. So we bring those questions into Scripture. What is the stuff that was there? The other faulty assumption that we make is that we are able, using our own logic and reasoning, to completely comprehend the beginning of everything. We can figure out where it all came from. We can figure out how it all came into being and how one thing led to another. And we can use scientific instruments and measure everything and we're going to figure it out because we have a very high view of ourselves. But as we step into Genesis 1, we are stepping into an ancient world where they were asking different questions. And I want to argue today that the questions they were asking are more important than our questions. And if we can ask those questions, we're going to get so much out of this passage. The questions that the ancient Jewish people would have had about the beginnings are, first of all, who did it? Who created all things? 
Because the one who creates all things is in charge. He is sovereign. He is God. Who created all things? The second thing they wanted to know is why. Why did he create all things? What is his purpose in it? Now let's come to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And let's read these two verses. I'll read them. You can follow along with me if you have a Bible. They're also up on the screen there for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Bible starts with who? Who? Who created all things? And the answer is God created the heavens, and the earth. We need to align our questions with the truth of Scripture. It is okay to ask about science and where all things came from. It's okay. But sometimes we allow those questions to cause us to skip over the truth that Scripture is trying to teach us. And the first truth that God wants us to know is He created everything. Everything that there is in this world, all the stuff, all the planets, all the atoms, all the photons, the galaxies, the microorganisms, everything, every person that has ever lived and ever will live is created by God. He created everything. When we start with the how, how did it all come about? And we start with the what, what was the physical stuff that was there, we're assuming something about the who. We're assuming we are good enough, smart enough to understand these things, that our brains are big enough to comprehend these things. God enters the picture in Scripture right from the beginning. He says, I created it all. God created everything. All of Scripture hangs on this important truth. If God created everything, then everything belongs to God. Look at these passages from Scripture. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I want you to see this this view of the world that they had. Everything belongs to God. Deuteronomy 10, 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. It all belongs to him. First Chronicles 29, 11, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. I love this passage because David, King David, you might know a little bit about him from the Bible, man after God's own heart, not perfect. But at the end of his life, he knows he's about to pass away. And he says these words, God, it's all yours. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. This is one of these passages people want to rip out of Scripture and just say, see, God promises He's going to make you all wealthy. It's not what this passage is about. This is a very specific occasion where God said He was going to bless His people with wealth, wealth that eventually they're going to use to build His tabernacle and use to worship Him. But the principle here applies to all of us. 
The principle is that they are supposed to remember that even their ability to make money comes from the Lord. It's not about them. He gets the credit for everything they even do. Everything we have comes from the Lord. Think for a moment of a typical day in your life. I know some of you are like, what does typical mean? Just pick one. A normal day. Your grandparent, maybe you spend time with the grandkids. You you go shopping. You you do some stuff around the house. Maybe you work a job on the side. Some of you are crazy. You retire and you get three jobs on the side. I don't understand it, but God bless you. That's not retirement. I'm just saying. Moms, you get up. Got to deal with the kids. Maybe you work too. Husbands. Going to work, maybe you work at home or from home or work in the office. Think of a typical day, whatever you do. Okay, now, thinking of that, let me give you a for instance. And this is probably something none of you are going to be able to uh, say, yes, this is true of me. But, But I think it's helpful. Consider a carpenter. Consider somebody who gets up and makes things out of wood. Okay, and again, that's probably none of us. Like, I do it on the side as a hobby. But let's imagine this is your job. If we can get this, it'll help us to understand our lives. The carpenter gets up, and and especially thinking of kind of an ancient carpenter, they go out and they find some wood, and they chop it down, and they cut it roughly into what they want. They have to leave it to dry for a certain amount of time, and then they begin to shape it. And the carpenter has specialty tools, chisels, saws, drills. For us today, it's power tools, right? Technology. We shape things. We have skill that we have learned over time. We've made mistakes. We've overcome those mistakes. We've gotten better at it, or at least we can hide the mistakes. So we use the wood that we found, the skills that we have, the tools that we've purchased, and we make something. Now think about this. Who made the tree? Who made the metal in the ground that was dug up and refined into the metal of the tools in the first place? Who made the brains of the engineer that came up with that tool, whether it's an ancient chisel or a modern-day specialty digital whatever? Who made their brains and gave them the ability to do that? Who gave them the hands that are skilled to work with that wood? What I want you to see is that the carpenter can only do what he or she does because God made her or him that way. Now let's go to your life. Maybe you're a computer programmer. You say, wait a minute, I just, I just deal, with, deal with digital stuff, ones and zeros. Where did the stuff that's inside that computer come from? It came out of the ground at some point. Or it was synthesized in a lab. But the raw materials came from somewhere, and guess who built it? Guess who made it? It's God. Who created the brains of the people long ago that made the abacus or whatever came after that and led up to today and today's computer? God made that. Who made your brain to be able to interpret that code? God made that. What if you're a manager? Who made the people that you manage? God did. Who gives you the skill to manage them? God does. If you're a factory worker, you're dealing with stuff that was brought up that God made and you're making it into something. Even the stuff that you're working with was made by somebody using stuff that God made. Do you get the point? You, no matter what you do in your life, you are working with things that God created. 
You are using things that God created, and you are able to do those things because God created you. We must allow Scripture, God's Word to us, to answer the question, who created everything, so that we live in a proper uh, relationship with God, our Creator. The acceptance that God created everything is foundational for all of Scripture. If we deny this or get this wrong, we will misunderstand the rest of the Bible. Because if God truly created everything, he gets to determine the purpose for which it exists. Him, not us. If God truly created everything, he gets to determine the purpose. And our role is to find God's purpose for everything else. And we come to this idea that God did, in fact, create everything for his purpose. He has a purpose for you, for your creation, and for all the stuff of your life. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, 1 and 2. Now look at verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was, was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Now a lot of modern mindsets say, aha, see, there was stuff there before God created it's not what it's talking about. Again, we're reading our modern mindset into the text. And if we understand what it's saying, it actually helps us to understand God's purpose. It's helpful, I think, to hear the Hebrew words here. Formless and void, formless and empty. It, it's a phrase in Hebrew, tohu and bohu. It sounds silly. It's meant to sound silly. Tohu and bohu. Tohu is a word that incurs Many places in Scripture and outside of Scripture, it means empty, formless, void, meaningless, wasteland, nothingness, purposelessness. Bohu is a funny word. It doesn't actually exist. It only exists in connection with tohu. I can think of some phrases in our world. You ever heard the word or the phrase flotsam and jetsam? You haven't? You need to read some more Tolkien. It's in The Hobbit. No, it's in the Lord of the Rings. Flotsam and jetsam. It's just like stuff that's floating around. It's like the garbage that lays over. It's like your kid's room right before you tell them to clean it up. Flotsam and jetsam. Okay? Maybe another one. Helter Skelter. I know that has some very specific meanings. Some crazy guy. But it just means chaos, right? Helter Skelter. If you try to look at each individual word and go, what exactly does it mean? No, it's a phrase. Keep it together. Have you heard the phrase? I really like this one. Higgledy-piggledy. Anybody heard of that one? Yeah, I actually looked that up. I wanted to make sure. I was like, is that something my mom just said? No, it's a real phrase. And it just means like running crazy. Just, just doing whatever. How about the phrase pell-mell? Ever heard that? Kids are just running pell-mell through the house. It's another one my mom would use. She had a lot of phrases now that I think about it. It just means chaotic without purpose. This phrase, tohu and bohu, is a phrase that means without purpose. Our scientific mindset comes and says, see, there was stuff there. No, the Jewish mindset is saying the universe had no meaning or purpose until God created stuff. And he created with a purpose. God gives purpose to everything he creates. 
And, and I know some people say, what about the water? There was water. There was deep. Something existed. Again, in the, the Jewish mindset, the depths of the ocean were just scary. They were chaos. They were nothing, nothingness and meaninglessness. It's not, I believe, talking about physical water. It's talking about a spiritual reality of just nothing. There was no meaning or purpose. And in the Jewish mindset, something without meaning or purpose was bad. And so God comes along and he creates with meaning and purpose. Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 2 sets up a picture of a world, a universe, all of reality with nothing in it, no meaning and purpose, and then God speaks. And I want you to hear what God says. Let me read. This is kind of long, but I want to read this, verses 3 through 25. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above. And it was so, and God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And so it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit and seeds in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Let them be lights in, or let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth or on the earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing which... Uh, with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Who said? Everything that exists, was called into existence because the Lord God Almighty spoke it. He commands things to come into existence. 
And everything in creation, as you walk through Genesis 1, there's this thing that's created, this arena, this environment, and then God fills it with something for a purpose. And each one of those things is created according to their kind. It's like a pattern. According to the idea that God had, these things follow that pattern. Birds are birds because God wants them to be birds. Cows are cows because God wants them to be cows. He created them that way. And then we get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And there is a huge break in the language of creation. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, and the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. Do you see the big difference here? The first is that he comes to humanity and he says that we are made in his image, not after some other likeness or some kind. Our likeness, our kind is God. We are created in his image. We are also made to rule over creation. As humanity, as humans, we are given a special role in creation to care for and rule over all of it. And then look at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The word image is repeated three times here. Three times we are made in the image of God. It is not used for anything else in all of creation. The other thing that's interesting here that we cannot pass over in verse 27 is being created in the image of God is linked to God's creation of gender, male and female. He created gender with his purpose. This is why as Christians, I believe according to the word of God, we cannot be asked to disregard someone's gender. And we cannot accept or approve of the idea that people can determine their own gender. And I know to some that's harsh and mean and cruel. But to me, to ask a Christian to call someone's gender different than what God determined it to be is to ask me to deny the authority of God and his creative purposes in the world, which are fundamental to my faith. And I believe... Just as someone might have the right to determine their own gender, I have the right to say, I don't believe that's true. But let's go back to the idea of being made in the image of God. Two main ideas come to mind here. Throughout all of scripture, this idea of something that is an image of a god or goddess, I'm talking about other uh, societies other than the Jewish people, but Being an image of something would have called to mind the idea of an idol, a little statue that you pray to. It represents the god or goddess. wasn't the god or goddess, but it represented. That is applied to us. We represent God. We are to be a display of who he is. The other thing I think that comes to mind is the concept of a reflection. We are to reflect who God is. His glory shines into the world in a meaningful, purposeful way. We as created human beings can reflect his glory back to him. 
And I believe this gets to the why of all creation. Why do you exist? Why do I exist? Look at this pattern from Scripture. See if you can catch a pattern out of these verses. Psalm 8.1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 43.7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Do you see the purpose there? Do you see the purpose for which God has created everything, including you? And you say, well, pastor, I'm just, I'm just little me. I don't really do big things. I don't do great things or I don't do church things. I'm not in ministry. I'm just working out in the world. You are to do everything you do for the glory of God. To declare his praise. To bring glory to God means to reflect who he is, his nature and his purpose. Not our nature and our purpose or desires, but God's nature and purpose. It is to live declaring that there is a God and this God has created all things. And we are to use and live for his purpose. We are to live and do everything we do as an act of praise to God. But how? Because I know this is like one of these really big uh, theological things. We're all to live for the praise and worship and glory of God. Great, but you've got to get up tomorrow and like put some Wheaties in your bowl and figure out how you're going to spend your day. So, so how does the rubber meet the road here? Remind yourself when you woke up tomorrow. Everything I see, everything I am, everything I will touch today has been created by the Lord God Almighty. He made it. Everything I am able to do today was made possible by God. It is using the stuff that he made and the abilities that he has given to us. So here's where praise and worship comes in. I will live purposefully in recognition that it's all his and therefore I will live for his purpose and his glory, not my own. But there is a problem. And next week we're going to look more at this, so I'm not going to spend too much time today. But when we get to Genesis 3, you might know the rest of the story there. Adam and Eve fall into sin, and they cause all of humanity, all of future humanity, to be on a course of rebellion against God. And there's this question. What happened to God's purpose in creation? Is it lost? And the answer is absolutely not. Jesus Christ fulfills God's ultimate purpose in creation. He fulfills it. It has not been lost. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, Jesus made known to us the mystery of his will, or God made known to us, rather, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. From the very beginning, God had a purpose to point to Jesus Christ in all things. Everything in your life, in your identity, in your day-to-day world, all of it finds its meaning and purpose through Jesus Christ. 
We were created to be like people holding mirrors, reflecting God's glory back to him. In sin, we all turned and said, I don't want to reflect God. I want to reflect something else. Anything. Doesn't matter what it is. If it's not God, it is sin. We have turned away. And we live in this world that is purposefully, intentionally trying to reflect anything other than God. And as we go through the Old Testament, one of the major themes we're going to see is that God is trying to educate people on his glory because his glory had been lost. Because people had turned away. And so throughout the Old Testament, we have God revealing who he is. We have the law revealing his nature and character. We have the tabernacle and the temple revealing what it means to live in a relationship with a holy God. We have the, the history of the Old Testament, God's covenant keeping love and humanity's constantly walking away and God constantly bringing them back. And then we get to Jesus Christ. And John 1.14 is such a powerful passage. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Do you remember how God created the world? And God said. He spoke. He spoke words to call creation into existence. And we have right here this this connection between Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being right there at the very beginning in creation. And he's called the word, the perfect communication of God is Jesus Christ, his Son. And we have seen his what? His glory. So many people say, "I, I don't get it. I don't really care about God. I don't see him in my life. I don't know who he is. Look to Jesus Christ. We have seen God's glory in Jesus Christ. Jesus displays God's glory for all to see. He walked among us, living among us in in the dirt and the muck and the mire that we live in. He walked there. He loved people that were unlovable. He healed people. He judged sin, but he also showed mercy and grace We see God's glory through Jesus Christ. And then he dies on the cross to save us from our sins and rises from the dead, promising new life to all who believe. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 calls this a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Jesus Christ is the one who accomplishes the redemption and the recreation of all of God's creative purposes all the way back from Genesis chapter 1. Salvation in Christ, if you're saved by him, it's a new beginning. It's a start over, but it's not a new beginning to just go out and do what you want and be what you want. It is a new beginning to live out the purpose for which God created you, to worship him with every breath that you breathe. You and I are created to worship God. That's why you're here. And every day we get to explore what does it mean for me in my situation, in my family, in my work, in my time, in my energy. What does it mean for me to worship God? And to do that, you need to get to know the God who is worthy of your worship. The one who created you. You need to get to know his son, Jesus Christ, who saves you because only through Jesus Can God's creative purposes in your life be recovered? So tomorrow, when you wake up, whatever it is you're going to do, ask yourself, 
Why am I going to do this? And just hit the pause button for a moment and speak truth to yourself and say, I'm here because God created me. And I'm going there because God has a creative purpose for my life in this moment to reflect who he is. And I'm not saying that's going to give you all the answers. There are times you have to talk to somebody or pick up that phone or something happens at work or in your family. You go, God, I don't know what to do, but you can know this. But God, help me to bring glory to you in this moment. Sometimes all that means is just trusting him as you live in obedience to him. Remind yourself that you are created for the glory of God. To live in such a way as to reflect his character and his purpose in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go through the rest of Scripture in this focal point series, I pray that you would help us to understand what it means to live a life in worship to you. God, help us because we we see this world and we see our lives in such warped ways according to our world and the sin that's in us and in our world. And we need to be re-educated. And so when we come to Genesis 1, we are confronted with this truth. You are God and we are not. And you created all things. And you have given those things their definition and their purpose. And Father, it is foolish for us to argue with you about those things. And yet there is great joy And satisfaction to be found living lives, worshiping you, reflecting who you are, accepting who you are, and trusting you every step of the way. And so I pray for each person here. I know there are people here that are going through tough times. And they're thinking, how in the world do I glorify God in this difficulty? And why should it even matter? And yet, Father, in the difficulty of our lostness and our rebellion, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to save us. And we may not be able to, and so often we cannot control the situations of our lives. But we can choose to live in such a way that trusts in you and worships you and displays your glory. And Father, I pray that every person here would know your son as their savior so that your creative purposes for their life could be renewed and recovered and they could live in that right relationship with you. And may we live in such a way as we worship you and proclaim the good news of Jesus to everyone. May we live in such a way that causes other people to look and we can tell them about you and your purpose and glory in their life too. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.